All right. Good evening, everyone. I'm sorry. Some technical, uh, some technical delays. My apologies. Okay. I want to begin, first of all, tonight by thanking our sponsors for tonight's share. To thank the Engelsberg, Dinovitzer, and Steinberg families for dedicating the share tonight, Le'iloi, the series. Le'iloi Nishmas Harav Yitzchak David Ben Meir Aryeh Zichron Levracha. We hope down to the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshama Havan Aliyah, and the family in Nechama. We also thank our share sponsor for tonight, Yisrael Schwartz, in honor of his wife Miriam Leah, for her constant devotion and care for their family while always making time to learn. Truly beautiful. As well as a thank you to the Miller and Rosen families for dedicating the sheer tonight in honor of Iris Miller's birthday, Okay, with that, let us begin. Samir Tashem, this evening we are going to begin Kapitel Samichtes, chapter 69 in Sefer Tehillim. And the truth is, this particular capital is incredibly exciting because as you're going to see, there are a number of, you know, p- part of the beauty of Sefer Tehillim is always when you're able to find the Pasuk that you recognize and you're able to find the Pasuk that you relate to on many different levels. And we're going to see a number of such Psukim in this particular capital. So as you can see, this is amongst the, the longer Kapitlach. We're only going to focus tonight really on the first but for, for just by way of introduction, we'll read the first two psukim. So David HaMalach writes, this is in chapter 69, Sefer Tehillim, Lam Natseach al Shoshanim LeDavid. So Lam Natseach, again, we know some of these words, Lam Natseach to the conductor. Remember again, as we've said many times, David HaMalach wrote Sefer Tehillim to be sung by the Levitic choir in the Beis HaMikdash. So Lam Natseach literally means to the conductor of the Levitic choir, Al Shoshanim LeDavid. The English translation here is very helpful. The English of Shoshanim is Shoshanim. Good. We'll, we'll, we'll delve into that in just a little bit. Hoshi'ini Elokim ki ba'umayim ad nafesh. So David HaMelech really wastes no time. You know, sometimes you have to delve a little bit into a particular capital to try to understand the theme that David HaMelech is trying to advance. That's not the case here. Right here already from the beginning of the capital. By the way, there are sheets. If anyone still needs sheets, there are sheets right up here on the first table. If David HaMelech already tells us from the beginning of the capital that this is a capital, this is a chapter of Tehillim that details distress. And here David HaMelech speaks, if you, even if you look at his wording, in such dramatic and desperate ter- tones. Tones. Hoshi'ini alokim, please Hashem save me, kibau mayim ad nafesh. Because ultimately, again, literally, the waters, the water has come up to my soul. Water coming up to myself, David HaMelech painting a picture of... What's the imagery? Drowning. Drowning. Now, now, now the truth is, the truth is we're going to see there's incredible profundity of this because the truth is whenever we think about somebody drowning, it always conjures up for us which story? Yonah. Excellent. Say for Yonah. In fact, again, say for Yonah, we're going to, not, not this week in Mirsham, but in future Shi'urim, we'll try to bring some parallelism because how Yonah deals with drowning is dramatically different than David Amalekh. You see, Yonah, in the Sefer Yonah, Yonah was perfectly content to drown. Yonah wanted to drown. Remember, again, the boat is about to capsize. And Yonah purposely goes below deck. That's for the simple reason that Yonah's running away from his destiny. Yonah does not want to go on the shlichus. He does not want to go on the agency to Ninveh to deliver the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He's look, He'd rather die. He'd rather die than that. So Yonah is looking to drown. David HaMelech, on the other hand, doesn't want to drown. David HaMelech wants to swim. David HaMelech wants to survive. David HaMelech wants to make it through this. So you hear the intense supplication, Hoshi'eni Elohim, save me, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, ki ba'u ma'im ad nafesh. Now, interestingly enough, what else does the phrase ba'u ma'im ad nafesh really highlight? It also highlights a sense of desperation. Meaning, you know, there are times in life where I'm in a difficult predicament, but I also know that although I'm in this predicament, I have the tools to extricate myself from this circumstance. And then there are other times when it's clear that I, I'm literally in over my head. I, I, I do not have the ability to get myself out of this circumstance. And it's almost as if you hear the latter type of situation echoed in David HaMelech's words. This notion of because I am about to drown. I'm about to drown. That literally, again, if you don't step in, I don't have the tools. I don't have the ability. 
I don't have the wherewithal to handle this situation. And this is really, it's an overwhelming thing to hear David HaMelech write this. Why? Because if there's one thing about David HaMelech, he spends most of his life in existential distress. Right, David HaMelech, remember, we've spoken this many times. His entire existence is crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. That's it. But the greatness of David HaMelech is, with every crisis, what does he have? What does he have? Right? He has a plan. He has a plan. Now, sometimes the plan is God. Sometimes the plan is things that he's going to do. Sometimes it's him and God. But there's always a plan. So it's very overwhelming when you hear David HaMelech speak in a desperate tone. Hoshi'eni Elohim kibao ma'im ad nafesh. Ribono shel olam, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's almost, there's almost like a panic in his voice. The water is rising and I don't know what to do, which I just want to point out. I find that part of the beauty of learning Sefer Tehillim is Sefer Tehillim is a very life-affirming Sefer. Why? What do you learn from this particular? What do you learn from this Pasuk? What do you learn from this? What you learn from this is, it is okay to be overwhelmed. You see, sometimes we think that feeling overwhelmed is a sign of weakness. That feeling overwhelmed is, I don't have it together. That feeling overwhelmed is like a lack of organization on my part. If only I had all the people, I wouldn't feel overwhelmed. And it's not true. Meaning, nobody really had it more together than David HaMelech. You don't become a father of a dynastic monarchy or the father of the messianic line by being scatterbrained all, all over the place, right? David HaMelech is a man who has it together. Yet, even people who really have it together at times in life feel overwhelmed. And it's okay. And it's normal and it's natural. Because I think as we get older, as we get older, you see, when we're young, we think we have everything figured out. As we get older, we recognize we have absolutely nothing figured out, but you can't really let anyone else know that you have nothing figured out, right? I have to project an air of confidence that I have it together. Otherwise, what are my kids going to think? My spouse is going to think. But it's an amazing thing that as we get older, I realize like, I really don't have it all under control. And then there comes a point where even you get a little bit older and you realize, and it's okay. So life has this progression. I'm young. I think I have it all together. I get older, I realize I don't have it all together. I get a little bit older and I realize I don't have it all together. And it's okay that I don't have it all together because such is the nature of the fabric of the human condition. No one has it all together all the time. And this is so important because if you don't create the right expectations of life, then when you get to one of these Hoshi'eni Elohim ki ba'umayim ad nafesh, you could lose it. And, and if you lose it, you see, here's what's amazing. You see, and this is so important because Dalai Nakh is teaching us just how to live day-to-day life. What's the proper reaction when you realize that you just don't have it all under control, that you don't have it together? What's the proper reaction? Well, what's the common reaction? Eat chocolate. Right, eat chocolate. Okay, good. I've heard, true that works. Or eat something, right? I, that could work. Absolutely good. What else? How do most people react when at the end of the day they realize they don't have it under control? Panic. They just panic, right? What does panicking get you? Nothing. Nothing. Not only does it not get you anywhere, but panicking often takes away, takes away any possibility that you even have for constructive problem solving. So really, what do you do when you realize you don't have it all together? What, what's the approach? The approach is take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and accept where you are right now and kind of figure out how to move yourself forward. You see... Even before we get into, and by the way, all of this is even before we delve into the capital. But I just want to show you something amazing. In Pasuk Pei's, David HaMelech says, Hoshi'eni Elohim ki ba'umayim ad nafesh. I'm overwhelmed. You see, you would have thought that where should the capital end? Where should it end? I would think right there. Kind of like, that's the end of the capital. I'm overwhelmed. I'm about to drown. The end. The end. You will notice, by the way, that this capital is 37, 36 psukim. Which means even before we read what David HaMelech wrote, what we understand is he feels overwhelmed, takes a deep breath, gathers himself together, and then creates some type of process for moving forward. What that process is, we will explore in Mirza Hashem in the future of this capital. But what a life-affirming dynamic. If David HaMelech could feel like he's lost control, if David HaMelech acknowledges that I really don't have it together, then how affirming is it that we could feel that way also? It's okay. It's okay 
to feel like you don't have it together. Or say differently, it's okay not to have it together at certain times. Just the difference is in that moment, you can't panic, you can't lose it, and you can't degrade. Because otherwise, again, there's no path forward. Instead, I, ta- I, 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 I catch my breath, I take a deep breath, I anchor myself, recognizing that the future may be a little bit turbulent and difficult, and then I figure out how to move forward. So that's, even before we delve into David HaMelech's words, the incredible and overwhelming and life-affirming lesson he's teaching us just in the opening of this particular capital. So if we take a look at number, at number, I want to focus really on the first Pasuk, because I think what's intriguing about this from the beginning is one word, which is Shoshanu. Right, what does this mean? So I'm going to show you something amazing. If you take a look at the Mitzudah Sion, he says, Shoshanim, Shem Kli Nigun Asuya Bitsuras Shoshana. So the Mitzudah Sion says, Shoshanim is an instrument. It's an instrument. Why is it called a Shoshanim? Because apparently it's somehow shaped like a flower, it's shaped like a rose. So remember, again, according to the Mitzudah Sion, we've seen this a number of times already in Sefer Tehillim, where David Amalek will say Lam Natseach to the conductor, and then he'll even tell the conductor which particular instrument to use for this particular capital. So according to Mitzudah Sion, Lam Natseach, conductor, I want you to sing this in the Beis HaMikdash, and when you sing it, Shoshanim. Go ahead and utilize this instrument called the Shoshan. Beautiful. Radak, Rashi, Al Sheikh, Rav Hirsch, see a little bit differently. Look what they write. Number three, the Radak. La Matzeach al Shoshanim le David. Hamizmar Hazeh, Neemar al Loshon Hagolos. So the first thing the Radak says, the Radak says is that the theme of this capital, and remember again, we haven't really gotten anywhere past the Pasik Bays, but so far what we see from this capital is the theme here is Golos is what it means to live life in the diaspora, right? And again, and again, what's life in the diaspora? Hoshi'eni elokim ki ba'umayim ad nafesh. I feel like I'm drowning. Now let's explore this for just a moment, because, you know, often when you see commentaries like this that speak about the harshness or difficulty of diaspora, often our first reaction is that it's difficult for us to relate to this, right? Because Baruch Hashem, we are privileged to live in a golden age of diaspora Jewry. But I'll tell you something, just to relate it contemporarily. You know, I was, on this past Shabbos, I was walking out of Shalashodis, and the security guard came over to me, and he said, we just got a call from, uh, from whatever their dispatch about the hostage situation in, uh, in the shul in, in Texas. And I remember walking out of, I remember walking out of, so he was just telling me because he felt he should tell me. I remember walking out of Shalshalas and walking to my roof. And you know, you feel like to a certain degree, like the wind is knocked out of you. And you feel like, just when like you think we've seen everything, experienced everything, you know, we know anti-Semitism is a fixture and it's here, but then something else happens and it's almost as if you feel a difficulty catching your breath. I believe that everything is going to be okay. I believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu watches over all of us. But it's like, again, something else, something else, another difficulty, another crisis, another, how much longer? So the Radak says, I feel out of options. I just feel overwhelmed. Radak says this is speaking about the existence or the dynamic of the Jew in the diaspora. So again, interestingly enough, Radak doesn't really address the Shoshanim piece. He's more addressing the Pasuk Beis. And the, theme, and the reason I, you'll see why I put this first, because many commentaries are going to agree with the thematic overtone, that the theme of this capital is the distress of the diaspora Jew. I feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm up to my neck in the water. I feel like I'm about to drown. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, throw me a lifeline. Rashi comes along, picking up on this same theme. Al Shoshanim. So Rashi says, what does Shoshanim mean? It means a rose. It means a rose. So what does Lam Al Shoshanim? Rashi says, number four, Al Yisrael, Shehem Ki Shoshana Ben HaChochim. The Shoshana over here is a ref- the rose is a reference to Klal Yisrael because Klal Yisrael is compared in many different in many different 
places, most notably Shira Shirim, Kishoshana bin Hachochim, like a rose amongst the thorns. Shachochim minakvim osam vispalim, the thorns are constantly pricking the rose, right? So the thorns are a reference to the nations of the world. The thorns are a reference ultimately to the circumstances of diaspora, of Galos. So here again, Rashi picking up on the theme of the Radak, that yes, this capital is about the trials and travails and adversity and difficulty of diaspora. What Shoshanim? The Shoshana is a reference to Klal And why, out of all the flowers, why is Klal compared to the rose? Because the rose is always surrounded by thorns. And Cloud Yisrael is always surrounded by the thorns of the nations of the world. Look at number five. Look at number five. So the al continues on this. And he says something amazing. He says, and this is really profound. V'hu akisas al-stam shoshana aduma. Shenis bechinas reicha kitov. So the al says, you know, if you notice, a rose, a rose has two qualities has two qualities, which is, which is number one, he's, he's the typical rose is red, right? The typical rose is red. And so it has a distinct, it has a distinct look and it has a distinct scent. So says the Al-Sheikh, the Al-King, Yimshal ha-galos shudin v'roges ala shoshana ha-duma lafi amara, achtov li-Yisrael. So it's incredible. He says, so therefore, really picking up on the same imagery as Rashi, which is the Shoshana, the rose is Klal Yisrael. The thorns represent either the nations of the world or just the adversity of the diaspora dynamic. But he says something amazing happens. He says, So tastes something amazing, by the way. Do you know, this is a good piece of information to know. I happen to, I, I like flowers. I like flowers. If you, with roses, if you want the scent of the petals, do you know how you get the scent out of the petals? It's a good piece of information. You thought you were coming for a tehillim. Give me a little botany over here. You know how you get the scent of the petals? If you, if you roll them. If you roll the petals, right? Like if you ever want, like, if you want the strongest scent of the flower, you could smell the flower, but when you actually roll the petals, for, I, don't, I don't know what the scientific reason is, but the, the scent becomes much stronger. So the Al-Sheikh says something amazing. The Al-Sheikh says, you know, the rose, when you look at it, it's beautiful. And when you smell it, it has a magnificent scent. But do you know when the real scent of the rose comes out? When the petal is pushed. When the petal is pushed. When the petal is pounded. Right? Sometimes, again, even when the thorn pricks the petal, that's when the real scent is released. And the Al-Sheikh here says something that is one of the most difficult lessons for us to accept, but it's true nevertheless, which is that sometimes the greatest scent of Klad Yisrael, the greatest scent of national and individual holiness comes during times when the petals are crushed, comes during times when the petals are pressed. He goes on, he says, Sha'al Yidei Kain, because when the petal is pricked or when the petal, when the petal is pressed, he says, Ola mehem reach tov the fun of Yisbarach, Shemismark and Abono Sein, the Alkin Yitahin Kara David Elagolio Shoshanim, Vabran Alzehan Shanu David. So again, says the Ashik something so amazing. So that Kali Israel is the rose we all understand, because the rose has a beautiful appearance, has a beautiful scent. But when is the real essence of the rose unlocked? When there's pressure put against the petal. And this is a lesson we don't like. It's a lesson we don't like as individuals, and it's a lesson we don't like as, as a nation, but it's a lesson that's nevertheless incredibly true, which is that at the end of the day, sometimes the greatest scent comes out in times of adversity. We all know this. You know, it's an interesting dynamic in life. I'm not sure why this is, but it's Hakash Baruch who made it, but people rarely grow in times of brach and times of blessing. If you ever think about it, think about it in your own life, the greatest growth doesn't come from like great times. The greatest growth comes from adversity. It's just a fascinating dynamic. And, but it makes sense because at the end of the day, when I find myself in the midst of adversity, I have to reach down into myself and access kohos, access abilities, access strength that I never knew I had. You see, when things are going great, 
Great, fantastic. Everything is wonderful. I don't have to push myself because everything is fantastic. When I encounter adversity and difficulty, suddenly again, I need to find tools that I didn't know that I had before. So says the Al-Sheikh, that's the power. You see, what the, I'll tell you what's bothering the Al-Sheikh. What's bothering the Al-Sheikh is as follows. Lam to the conductor usually has a connotation of simcha. Usually has a connotation of joy. So if the theme of the capital, if the theme of the chapter of Tehillim is adversity, is diaspora, is difficulty, then why is he opening with Lamnatseach? Why Lamnatseach? And then again, it says the Ashik something amazing because from the adversity, from the moments of Hoshi'eni Elokim Kiba'u Mayim Ad Nafesh, sometimes we find our greatest holiness. Sometimes we find our greatest scent. Sometimes we find the greatest tools and greatest abilities. It's a lesson we all know. It's a lesson no one likes, but it's a lesson that is unequivocally true. At the end of the day, the scent comes from the petals when the petals are pressed down upon. When there's pressure applied to the petal, that's when the petal releases the full extent of its scent. And when there's pressure applied to us in life, that is when we find the true nature of our inner kochos, our inner abilities. Rav Hirsch comes along and adds on. He says as follows. Take a look at number six. And Rav Hirsch says something absolutely mind-blowing here. He says, the thorns with which nature has endowed the rose mark that flower as one that is vulnerable to attack from the thorns which must protect it. So this is just so fascinating. You see, everyone else looks at the rose, looks at the rose as something which is harmed by the thorns, right? Remember again, that's what we've seen up until now. That's what the Radak said. That's what Rashi said, right? That remember, Klal Yisrael is the rose. The nations of the world are the thorns. The thorns represent a risk, right? Represents damage to the rose. Refersh says no, the thorns protect the rose, right? The thorns around the rose are there to keep things from harming the beauty of the flower. Similarly, Israel too is reminded, turn the page, that it is in danger of attack against which only God can protect it. Only the divine institutions given Israel for its wanderings through the ages can supply the people of Israel with the strength and endurance to withstand whatever trouble may befall them. So this is just such an amazing insight. Rav Hirsch says, the thorns represent the protections. So ultimately, again, says Rav Hirsch, the rose is Klal Yisrael. Who is the thorn? Or, or who, who is the thorn? Tzachadosh Baruch Hu. The Ribbono Shal Olam is the thorn. Just like, just like the thorns protect the rose, HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects us. But I think there's something very profound in Rav Hirsch's analysis here, which is even that sometimes the protection of God can what? Can what? Can hurt. Right? What, what, what a profound idea that sometimes, much like, you know, we could relate to this today as, right, as, as we, we, we live now in the age of, of new vaccinations, the shot hurts, right? The shot hurts. So the thorn, right? Literally, again, there's something, there's something pricking my skin. There's something hurting me. But at the end of the day, that which hurts me ultimately provides the protection. Says Rav Hirsch, if Klali Stral is the flower, is the rose, the Ribono Shal Olam is the thorn which keeps away all the things that try to go ahead and hurt the rose, damage the rose. But yet sometimes what do the thorns also do? What do the thorns do? The thorns prick the rose also, right? The thorns could also damage the rose because sometimes the things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does to help us hurt, hurt. It's one of the things we have to contend with. Again, there are so many theological profundities that David HaMelech is highlighting in this one, in this one capital, but sometimes help hurts. Sometimes kindness hurts. Sometimes the chesed of the Ribbon Shalom, the hashkacha, the divine providence, sometimes it hurts. Now, the short-term prick, right? So, so the, the short-term hurt, the short-term pain, ultimately, again, is for a greater long-term good. But what a profound idea that sometimes the benevolence of God 
doesn't always feel benevolent. And sometimes the goodness of God doesn't always feel good and pleasant. That sometimes even the greatest bracha could be like a thorn. And that's where Amuna comes in. Because Amuna says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the thorn. The thorn protects me. But sometimes when the thorn is trying to protect the rose, the thorn could also pierce the rose. Sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects us and showers us with good and positivity and chesed. And it feels good and it's positive good and it's enjoyable good. And sometimes the good comes in the form of a thorn. Sometimes the good doesn't feel so great. But at the end of the day, it is all part of the chesed of the Ribbon Shalom. So therefore, if you bring this all together, what we begin to see again in this particular capital is, let's adopt the approach that the theme of the capital is Golos. Right? That's when David HaMelech says, elokim ki bo Hashem, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. He's drowning in the sea of exile, the sea of diaspora. Klal Yisrael is the rose. The nations, well, again, who are the thorns? So again, we have over here the Radak, Rashi explaining that the thorns represent the nations of the world or the adverse circumstances of Golos. Rav Hirsch, no, the thorns itself could be HaKadosh Baruch Hu, recognizing that sometimes the very things that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does to protect us may hurt as well. We have the Ashik who tells us, but don't despair. Because even when the thorn, the divine thorn hurts, even when the divine thorn causes pain, what happens when the petal is pierced? What happens? The beautiful aromatic scent is released. Because at the end of the day, even in moments of pain and even in moments of adversity and difficulty, that's when we discover the true nature of our personalistic and spiritual metal. That's when we truly discover who and what we are is when the pedal is pressed. But I want to show you something amazing. It actually comes from this week's parasha. So take a look at number seven, seven and eight. And then we're going to jump back out of the parsha just for one, for one last piece. So remember again, parsha's Yisro, parsha's Yisro. Contains the story of Yisro. Shocking, right? Parshas Yisro contains the story of Yisro. So remember again, Yisro joins Klal Yisrael. There's a whole backstory to this. Where remember again, we, we, there's a whole chunk of story that's missing. Because remember again, as far as we know, when you are reading the Chumash, where were Tzipora, Gershom, and Ash, right? Where, where were Moshe Rabbeinu's sons? Where were they? It, well, if you're just reading the Chumash, where were they? In Mitzrayim. Remember again, the last time we read about Sipora and the boys and the sons was what story, right? It was in Parsha Shmos, where Moshe, Sipora, and both sons are traveling down to Egypt, right? Remember again, that's where you have that strange story where Moshe Rabbeinu was like swallowed up by the serpent, spits him out, Sipora circumcises the younger son. That's the last time we hear. So as far as we know, Sipora and the sons went down with Moshe to Mitzrayim. Rashi quotes the Medrash that says Sipora and the boys did not go down to Egypt. They actually turned around. After that episode, they turned around. They went back to Midian. The only way we know that is because in this week's parasha, the Torah tells us that Yisro brings Sipora and Moshe Rabbeinu's sons back to meet Moshe and Klal Yisrael in the desert. Okay. Yisro comes, and what does he see? Take a look at number seven. Vayimi macharas, vayeshev Moshe lishpot es ha'am, vayamo da'am al Moshe min aboker at ha'erif. So what happens? So now, Yisro comes, and he sees Moshe Rabbeinu is busy judging the people the entire day. Right? He's sitting there judging the people the entire day. Vayar chosein Moshe es kol asher osa la'am, vayomer, so Yisro says to Moshe, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're judging the people the entire day. Impossible. Unsustainable situation. So again, Moshe says to Yisro, they're coming to me to, to find out what the will of God is. So Yisro, Yisro goes ahead and says, let's skip down a little bit to Pasuk Yitzayin, verse 17. It's not good, Moshe, what you're doing. Yisrael says to Moshe, it's not good. This is not an efficient system. You cannot manage this on your own. So ultimately then Yisrael gives Moshe the advice to set up a judicial system. Moshe takes his father-in-law's advice. Beautiful. The obvious question on this, excuse me, on this whole story 
is it seems to be pretty obvious. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu, really, you think you're going to be one judge for the entire people? Remember, again, there are three and a half million Jews who left Egypt, right? 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. There are at least three and a half million Jews, right? You're going to have disputes. You're going to have situations which require adjudication. Did Moshe Rabbeinu really think that as one man he could do it? So there's a couple of questions. And first of all, so what, what was Moshe thinking? What was Moshe thinking? And Yisro comes along and introduces this idea of like a judicial system, like such a chiddish. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't have thought of this on his own, right? It's kind of obvious, right? Outsource, get other people to help. So what is it that's unfolding over here? So I want to share with you something truly beautiful. If you take a look at number eight, this is from the Kedush HaSlaver of Levi Yitzhak Berditch of Zechuso Yagin Alenu, says something so beautiful. He says as follows, if you look three lines into number eight, the middle of the third line, he says, Ach yeshloma ha-perush, ha-adam, so the Rebbe says, and this is so beautiful, what's the essence of life? What's the essence of life? So you know, the Zohar writes that a tzaddik is called a holich. Tzaddik is called someone who's always moving. Right? Because the essence of life is to always move from one level to another. Holich mi madrega le madrega. One level to another level. You can't stay in one place in life. This is it, brother. You, you want to like the totality of Yiddishkeit to be a holich. One word which sums up successful Judaism, holich. To be a holich. To be a holich means I'm never content where I am. I'm always trying to move somewhere else. Move up. It could be just a little bit, just a millimeter, right, of spiritual growth. But I, I'm constant halicha. I'm always trying to move. I'm never, I'm never content with where I am. Look what he writes. When a tzaddik speaks with people who are not on his same spiritual level, ultimately again, so what happens when the tzaddik connects to people who are a little bit lower than him? What happens? Often they bring the tzaddik down. Right, they bring the Bible also literally means they confuse the tzaddik. There's sometimes again the tzaddik who is the bastion of holiness. When he interacts with people who are of a lower spiritual caliber, ultimately they can bring the tzaddik down. But someone who is a true tzaddik, or what the Rebbe calls a tzaddik gadol, has the ability to lift people up through interacting with them. And says Rabbi Yitzchak something so beautiful. Yitzchak comes to Moshe and he says to Moshe, it's very nice what you're doing, right? Rubbing shoulders with the common man. You're accessible to the people, right? You're a manicure and beautiful. But Moshe, you're Moshe. You're Moshe. You're Moshe. You're going to interact with the common people. It's going to bring you down. You're the guy who speaks to God, panim el panim. You speak to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like, like two people have a conversation face to face, just a frontal dialogue. Moshe, that's how you speak to Hashem. So what are you doing? You're spending your whole day with Reuven and has, has this fight with Shimon. And Levi has this fight with Yehuda and Yisachar and Zvul and have this. And they're squabbling and it's petty and it's this and it's that. It's going to bring you down. It's going to bring you down. Says the Rebbe, that's what Yisro was saying to Moshe. Moshe, you are a tzaddik. You are a gaon atzum. You are the god of Hadar. You are the greatest prophet of all time. Don't let them bring you down. To which Moshe says, my beloved father-in-law, you don't get it. They're not bringing me down. Instead what? I'm bringing them up. Because at the end of the day, you're right. See, what the Rebbe is saying is like this. If a person is spiritually insecure, then you're right. They can't get involved with other people because they're not secure enough in their own ruchnius and they run the risk of being brought down. But when a person is spiritually secure, when I know who I am, I know what I am, I know my belief system and I'm solid, then ultimately I have the ability to interact with other people and not only will I not be brought down, but I have the ability ultimately to bring them back up. This was the point of contention excuse me, between Moshe and Yisro. Yisro feeling that Moshe was going to run the risk of being brought down, and Moshe saying, no, just the opposite. I have the ability to bring them up. So who was correct? 
who is correct? So the truth is, Moshe was correct. Now, he still heeds his father-in-law's advice because at the end of the day, it's not about being brought down or being brought up. It's about properly serving your client base. Right? And at the end of the day, you have three and a half million people. You need more than one dayan. You need more than one judge. But, but in, a, in a spiritual sense, Moshe Rabbeinu was correct. See, Moshe Rabbeinu models for us the ability to go ahead and be spiritually secure and therefore interact with other kinds of people and have a positive impact on those other kinds of people. You see, too often what happens in Yiddishkeit, and, and I think this is really a, a current challenge, is we create ivory tower Yiddishkeit. And ivory tower Yiddishkeit means we become like purists, right? I'm only going to associate with this kind of person. I'm only going to marry or date this kind of person, right? I'm only going to be friends with this kind of person. I'm only going to go be, you know, be in this type of sin. So you could do that. You could do that. That's ivory tower Yiddishkeit. That's purest Yiddishkeit. But I don't understand what that really represents. That represents a sense of spiritual insecurity. What that means is I am not confident enough in my own ruchnius. And therefore, by definition, the only exposures I could allow myself are exposures which mirror me. Because I'm unable to withstand anything else. But one who is confident in their ruchnius, one who is confident in their spirituality. And by the way, spiritual confidence is not, is, is significant. Spiritual confidence comes from a person who's a holech, right? In other words, when we speak about spiritual confidence, how do you become spiritually confident? By every single day, I am on a trajectory of growth. Every single day, I am a holich. I'm moving from point A to point B to C and to D. And no day is the same as the one before it. Every day, I'm trying to advance myself just a little bit more. When you become a holich, you become spiritually secure. And when you become spiritually secure, you have the ability to interact with other kinds of people. And not only will they not bring you down, but when you're spiritually secure, you have the ability to lift them up. Now, by the way, when I say lift them up, I don't mean going over to someone and saying, you know, did you put on tefillin today? You know, did you, did you like Shabbos candles? I mean, that's, that's good also. Chabad does an incredible job like that. But, but, but sometimes lifting a person up just means a positive interaction. That, that's all it means. When a person is spiritually secure and able to interact with other kinds of people, sometimes just being you, just being you and just being nice and just being kind and just being a bastion and a beacon of positivity and hope and optimism and unconditional love, all of that lifts people up. So that was the Machlokes, Yisra and Moshe. Moshe says, extricate yourself from this. They're going to bring you down. And Moshe says, no, my dear father-in-law. No, not at all. They're not bringing me down. I'm a holech. I'm a holech. So because I'm a holech, I'm spiritually secure. And because I'm spiritually secure, I can interact with them. I love them. Because my interactions with them bring them up. Don't bring me down. And perhaps the reason why this is important is the following. You know, the rose, even the rose has to go ahead and interact with the thorns, right? The beautiful part about the rose is there's no such thing as a rose which grows without thorns, right? The rose has to live right next to the thorns, right? It's not the shot that the rose is up here, the thorns are already all the way down on the bottom. The thorns exist on the same exact level as the rose, because the rose, which represents Klal Yisrael, and perhaps again, according to what we're seeing from the Rebbe Levi Yitzchak, the rose represents the spiritually secure individual is able to go ahead and interact with the thorns. And this is just so incredibly important on a variety of levels. First of all, about the need, on, on just like a Klal Yisrael level, you know, we have a religious responsibility to be part of Klal Yisrael. And being part of Kalal Yisrael doesn't just mean with the people who daven in your shul. That's a great start. That's a fantastic start. But most probably the people who daven in your shul may be a lot like you. Well, there's an obligation to be part of general Kalal Yisrael also. Now again, could we do everything together as Kalal Yisrael? No, there are always going to be things that we can't agree on and things that we're not going to be able to collaborate on. But we could still figure out ways to coexist. We could still figure out ways. In other words, it can't be the rose 
that is divorced from the thorns. You can't be the rose that only stays with other roses and is unwilling to go ahead and be part of Amcha. You see, if I really become a real rose, spiritually secure, spiritually confident, by living a life of constant halicha, then I am able to go ahead and interact with thorns. I'm able to interact with anyone and everyone. And not only does, am I not brought down, but because I am a spiritually secure and confident, constant holy rose, I'm even able to elevate the thorns. And again, it's not by accident that David HaMelech is embedding this message in the capital about Golos. Because the truth is, you always need Achtos. We always need unity within Klal Yisrael. But the truth is, Achtos becomes even more important in Golos. Even more important in Golos. You know, remember, we just, in Dafyom, we just finished Mesechus Megillah not so long ago. And one of the ways in which Haman convinced Achashverosh to go ahead and sign the annihilation decree for Klal Yisrael is what did he say to Achashverosh? Yeshna am echad mefuzar umefurad bena amim. Right? What did Achashver, what did Haman say? Haman said, these Jews, they're splintered. They're splintered. Here they are, they're in diaspora. We destroyed their temple. They're scattered among so many empires and lands, and yet they still don't get along. They still don't get along. And the tragedy of Haman's words, what's your tragedy of Haman's words? <laughs> you can't say he was wrong. You just can't say he was wrong. There is so much animosity and there is so much negativity. Now we should be clear, could all different streams and, and, and you know, spectrums of Klal Yisrael coexist and collaborate on every single level? No, no, there are profound differences and there are profound things which are going to push us apart and separate us. But at the same time, if the rose coexists with the thorns, then Cloud Israel has to figure out a way to coexist as well. Doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. Doesn't mean we have to work together on everything. But there's a certain degree of achdos, there's a certain degree of togetherness that the rose has with the thorns. And the way to accomplish that, David Amalek, Rabbi Yitzchak teaches us, is that be spiritually secure. When you're seen, in general, by the way, it's an interesting thing. You ever have a conversation with someone who has a differing viewpoint than you do? Did it ever happen, such a thing like this? So if you notice, by there are two different types of people with differing viewpoints. There are some people who are belligerents, and they will not stop until you agree with them. And then there are some people who are happy to espouse their idea, and whether you agree or disagree, the conversation is over. What's interesting in those two kinds of people? Seeing the great secret is belligerent people are insecure. You see, when you're secure in who you are, you don't need other people to agree with you. I don't need you to agree with me. I know I'm right. I'm good. I, I'm, right. I, I, I'm happy with what I believe. I'm happy with what I do. I'm happy with how I'm living. I'm happy with how I'm conducting myself. You have a different derech? As they say, do what you need to do. I don't need to, con- I'm, I'm happy to talk about things with you. And I'm happy to share my MS with you. But whether you accept it or not, that's up to you. It's, it's all good. When people are belligerent about something and are unwilling to let you have your own opinion about something, often that just reflects a profound insecurity. See, the rose knows how to live with the thorns. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because what does the rose know? It knows it's a rose. See, the rose knows it's a rose. I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. Right? I, I, I look beautiful. I have a beautiful scent. I know I'm a rose. So it's okay, thorns, I'm happy to dialogue, happy to talk, happy to interact, but I don't need to convince you of anything because I know who I am. And we are, and this is such an incredibly important episode. When we are spiritually secure in who we are, that's when we really have the ability to achieve a level of achdos. Because first of all, we could hear other opinions, we could hear other approaches, and even if we vehemently disagree, we could agree to disagree and live and let live. So again, Rablevi Yitzhak helping us to understand why David Amalek refers to the diaspora experience in the form of a rose, ultimately highlighting the idea that the essence of Achtus in Galos is the ability for the rose to be a holich, spiritually secure, and then could coexist with all types of thorns around it. I'll end off with one last piece and then we'll bring it all together. The Shem Mishmuel. The Rebbe of Sakachev says something absolutely beautiful. And I, and I think we'll kind of bring it, it'll bring everything together. So the Rebbe of Sakachev says like this. He says, Ha'inyan dihinei b'medrish lam natzeach al shoshanim sheshonim. 
So listen to this. The Shemeshul quotes the Medrash. And I could not find the original Medrash that he's quoting over here, but we'll just, we'll see it inside over here. He says, Shoshanim, see, it's incredible. Everyone that's translating Shoshanim up until now is what? As a rose. The Shemeshul quotes the Medrash that says, Shoshanim is, is actually Shoshanim. Shoshanim means that are able to change. That are able to change. Right? We did tshuva and we're able to change. Number 10, he says the same idea. Also, again, same idea. Show, such an incredible reading of it. Literally, again, to the conductor. The greatest praise, the greatest song. What's the greatest song that the Jew sings? The greatest song is the song of change. The greatest song is the song of change. Because the greatest gift we have in life is the ability to change. Now, somebody came over to me after, uh, after davening this past Shabbos. And they said, um, they said to me, I saw I noticed that for three out of the last four weeks, you spoke about change. So I said, first of all, thank you so much for listening. Right? I thought it was just my wife who listens. Well, wonderful, all right, great. But, and then I thought like, it was funny because the person said it to me and I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it after. Sometimes I can't even remember what I said. Right? But after Shabbos, I went back and I said, you know, Taki, you're right. I, I spoke three out of the last four weeks about change, Dif- different vartach, different ideas in change. And I realized that I think subconsciously, as I get older, the thing that I struggle with most is change. Because the older we get, the more set in our ways we become and the more difficult change becomes. But yet, amazingly enough, the things that be- the thing, the very thing that becomes more difficult as we get older is in and of itself the greatest gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us. Think about this just a moment. What's the greatest gift we have? So says the Shem Yishmuah, the greatest gift, the greatest song, Al Shoshanim, She Shonim. That I could decide, I could decide, tomorrow morning I wake up in Mirat Hashem, and I say, you know what? I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to do things differently. And if I really want to do things differently, if I really want to, I can do it. I can do it. You know, you ever like, have like, a moment like this in life where you feel like you're on um, like the hamster on the wheel? Right, you ever have right that 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 moment like that where like you feel like every day like it's just it's the same struggles, it's the same stuff, and it's the the wheel never ends, right? It just keeps on going, and then the truth is you decide to do something that like gets you off the wheel. Maybe it's a change in schedule, or maybe it's just taking a day and doing something else, or maybe it's just not doing whatever it is, and you feel like wow, like I could affect change in my life because when we're on the wheel, we feel we can't affect change. The moment you step off the wheel, even if it's just for a moment, wow. I can make changes in my life. And the greatest song that the Yid sings, the greatest song that the Jew sings is a song of change. What kind of change? Whatever change you want. Whatever change you want. And you might think to yourself, ah, but one second, I can't do change. After all, again, there's too much crisis in my life. What does David Amal say? So in Pasuk Aleph, he says, I'll show Shanin David. Right? To the conductor, I'm going to sing the greatest song, which is the song of change. What's the very next Pasuk? I'm drowning. I'm drowning. Which tells you what? That even in times of existential crisis, you can affect change. Even when you feel like you're drowning, even when you feel like you're in over your head in life, if there are changes you want to make in your life, you are the skipper, right? You are the captain of the ship. You decide which direction things are going to go in. The greatest song is the song of change. And the song of change could be sung whenever you have the courage to exercise your vocal cords and sing it. When you're ready to sing it, change is there for the taking. And so if we bring this all together, and I just want to point out, we got through two psukim tonight, right? If I feel exhausted, mamish, so many life lessons, right? Just in two psukim. So let, let's bring it all together. So first of all, again, we have David HaMelech teaching us the idea that number one, right? So going, going with the approach that the capital is really a metaphor for diaspora. So ultimately, again, we come out with two profound lessons. Number one, first of all, that even in the diaspora, 
Klal Yisrael still arose, which is very important because sometimes in life we think that as a result of our challenges and adversity, we've lost our national and personal luster. But what's amazing to realize is Dara Malach says, we keep our beauty even when we go undergo adversity. No matter what we go through in life, the rose remains the rose. And that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is that sometimes, again, the rose really only releases its most fragrant scent when what? When the petals are pressed upon. And sometimes it's only through adversity, only through difficulty, only when life imposes its pressures on us that we really find and we really discover the true depth and breadth of our personalistic kochos and abilities. Number three, that sometimes it's not the nations of the world that are the thorns, but sometimes it's the ribono shal olam who's the thorn. Like, like, like Rosh Hashanah Far Hirsch says, that the thorn protects the rose. So to HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects Am Yisrael. But just like sometimes the thorn also pricks the rose, the thorn pierces the rose, Sometimes, even when HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects us, sometimes protection hurts. And sometimes divine benevolence hurts. And sometimes even bracha hurts. Because divine blessing comes in all shapes and forms. And sometimes bracha comes in the form of a bracha. And sometimes bracha, sometimes blessing comes in the form of that which looks like a klala. Sometimes it looks like a curse. Sometimes it feels like a curse. Sometimes it feels like a mamish, a thorn, picking, right, pricking through my rose. But at the end of the day, the thorn is there to protect. Kaddish Baruch who loves us and is always showering us with divine protection and providence, even sometimes when it hurts. We saw from Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev that again, David HaMelech is giving us the secret to Achtus in Klal Yisrael in the midst of Gauls and Diaspora, which is from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu teaches us that when you are spiritually secure, and how do you become spiritually secure? Halicha. Constant movement, constant growth in life. When you are spiritually secure, then you have the ability to what? To interact with the thorns. And not only that, but not only do the thorns not bring you down, but you have the ability to bring the thorns up. When you are spiritually secure, you can interact and even forge relationships with all of Kalal Yisrael. And not only are you not brought down, but you have the ability to positively influence as well. The rose, right? The spiritually secure rose has to learn how to interact with everyone and everything around it. And lastly, lastly what David HaMelech teaches us is that the greatest song, the greatest song, the eternal song, the Lam Natseach, the best song the Levitic conductor could ever sing is Al Shoshanim, or better stated, Al Sheshonim, that we have the ability to change. Change is the greatest gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us. And it's the gift that's always accessible. It's the gift that can always be utilized. It's the gift that can always be activated. Whether you're in times of bracha or you're in times like David HaMelech says, Ba'umayim ad nafesh, I'm about to drown. Whether it's times of good or times of distress, the great song, the great gift of change is always accessible. We just have to find the courage the ability and the strength to utilize it. So we'll stop over here for tonight. Emirat Hashem, and we will continue. Emirat Hashem in Kapitol Samech Tes. I'll just say one, one more announcement. If you are not yet part of the WhatsApp group, there is a QR code over here on top. You just have to scan it with your phone. You'll join the WhatsApp group. That's kind of the way if the shear gets canceled or if there's a change of some sort, you can communicate with everyone more immediately. If not, you can sign up for the shul emails online. We also put out an email. Have a wonderful evening.